2: It's How Do We Fix It? with Richard and Jim. Why
1: journalists need to cover solutions. David Bornstein. (laughs) Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it?
2: How do we fix it?
1: So, Jim, journalists have been facing a lot of flack in recent weeks. President Trump has talked about
3: fake news. And presidential strategist Steve Bannon says the press should listen and shut up. And Trump has called the news media the enemy of the American people. The White House
1: anger at the news media coverage is not new in terms of the way people at the White House feel, although they're publicly stating it in, in, in starker ways than in the past. The, the press is supposed to be a check uh, on those in power. And its role was even outlined
3: in the First Amendment of the Constitution. Of course. You know, a lot of the criticism is overstated. Not always. Um, the media is widely distrusted by a lot of people. There is bias in there.
1: The vast majority of major network and press journalists are more liberal than conservative. Many felt very comfortable with President Obama and have been somewhat horrified by Donald Trump.
3: And that's a problem when news coverage should at least aim to be neutral or unbiased.
1: And another problem is the coverage of celebrities, clashes, contests, often at the expense of explanation and solutions, stories about what works, And and that's been a
3: theme on our show. Right. I mean, that's really what our show is devoted to. It's about finding solutions and looking for positive ways that we can move ahead instead of just arguing from our partisan bunkers. So we thought we would revisit a show we first did last year. Episode 47 of How Do We Fix It? We start with you, Jim. We like to pat ourselves on the back, but it turns out that we weren't the first ones to come to this idea.
1: David Bornstein, co-founder of the nonprofit group Solutions Journalism Network, is joining us. His books include How to Change the World, Social Entrepreneurs, and the Power of New Ideas. So, David, welcome. Thank you. So I want to know, David, why you got into this. I mean, did you get fired up? Did you feel that, that there was an area of journalism that just wasn't being
4: addressed? Um, really, it was a very personal thing for me. I, I um, my, my mother passed away, and I used to call my father in Montreal after she died, and he would stay up late watching the news. And one day, I, I called him on the phone at eleven thirty. I said, "Hey, Dad, how are you feeling?" And he was, he had this heavy voice, uh, and he said, "Dave, I'm convinced that human beings are worse than animals." And I was just like, Dad, are you watching CNN? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, yeah, he was. And I thought, you know, on top of the indignity and all the problems that people have in their personal lives, to have to get this toxic waste, you know, through the airwaves, that is a a—it's comp- a hall of mirrors view of the world. It's not a mirror of society. It's a hall of mirrors. It's a terrible distortion. It brings people down. And it's not even... Fully true,
3: and it changes people's behavior in their lives sometimes in negative ways. One guest that we've had on the show, uh, Lenore Scanese, who has this blog, Free Range Kids, she's an advocate for letting giving kids more freedom, and she very persuasively argues that all these images and stories about you know children being abducted and and sexual abuse of children. It happens. It's true. But it happens a lot less than we all think it does. But people respond to this very small risk by overreacting and pretty much locking their kids up and not giving them the freedom to roam
4: and explore and learn. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean... The kinds of stranger abductions that she's talking about are incredibly rare. The NISMAT federal database shows that they're, they're tiny, 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 and they really haven't changed for many, many years. But people do have this surveillance of their kids. You don't leave your kids out of the out of your view for five minutes. And it probably contributes to a lot of child obesity and a whole range of other problems. This phrase, solutions journalism, what is it? It's... Um, An effort by a group of journalists to get uh, newsrooms around the country and journalists to regularly report more on how people are trying to solve social problems, but to do it in a rigorous way without fluffery um, and really look at the activity out there and what things are producing results and what can we learn from them that can help other communities uh, do the same. Why do we need solutions journalism? Journalism is very biased in general. It, you know, the, the idea of what, what is newsworthy is, tends to be problems, scandals, corruption. I think journalists believe that primarily the main job of the press is to be a watchdog and to point out shortcomings and, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant and all that. Um, so as a result, the news tends to focus far more on what's wrong than on the credible efforts uh, around the world of people who are trying to fix things, whether they're successful or not. So it's a little imbalanced.
3: You know, it's so funny. I, I see this all the time in uh, people's perceptions of the world. You know, you see people have this idea that the, um, the environment's way worse than it used to be, when in fact in many ways it's gotten better. And they don't really appreciate the degree to which, say, poverty is falling globally and, and things. Like that. And so there is, I think, the negative news coverage can feed a certain passivity.
4: Yeah, that's right. And news is a feedback system that if we applied it at the personal level, if we woke up every morning and said, I want my son to be a better person, so I'm going to point out everything he did wrong yesterday, um, you know, he would end up, you know, in an institution. Um, (laughs) What we do uh, as journalists in some ways is we do that to society writ large and we end up making people feel. Uh, falsely that problems can't be solved and unduly pessimistic and you know the the definition of a cynic is someone who's prematurely disappointed in the future um you're right there there are a lot of great challenges in our world today and some problems that have gotten much worse. But then there's tremendous gains that have been made in, in areas. And so to have a balanced view, that's what news should provide people. And unfortunately it mostly only gives half the story. But David Bornstein, is part of this because
1: journalists are lazy? I mean it's much easier to report catastrophes and controversies and and contests than it is the quiet drip drip
4: drip of improvement. I mean that's usually less dramatic. I, I, I've not found too many lazy journalists. I really don't think that they're that lazy. Um, I think the main thing is that the problems scream and the solutions whisper. The problems are always clamoring for attention. Solutions, you really do have to be proactive and go look for them. There's Historically, journalists feel uncomfortable writing about responses to problems. They worry about being called advocates. They worried about falling into hero worship or fluffery. Um, and historically, you know, there's been such a tremendous... And noble role of journalists in the 20th century in, you know, in the watchdog role in bringing down a corrupt president or Standard Oil, if you go back to the beginning of the century. The stories of how journalists help society improve primarily by shining lights on the dark corners has come to animate the whole profession. And I think that there's just a big omission. As you say that these are
3: quieter stories, but for example, better ways to um improve discipline in schools a major, major problem,
4: yeah, exactly right. The journalists tend to find the worst school, the worst police department, and pounce on them and and get people to be angry and outraged at the problem with the idea that this will create energy around solving it, but to the degree that anyone in society knows how to improve school discipline or reduce the dropout rate or police without using excessive force, it's going to be the positive deviance. It's going to be the few places, uh, relatively few places that have solutions. And so if you report on those people, you can actually uh, uh, elevate ideas that could be of help to lots of other people. I love that positive deviance because
3: you're right. And the negative deviance so often not only does it frustrate us. It might motivate us to action, but also might make us just write off a whole class of people. You know, teachers are bad because we hear about the worst ones, or, you know, cops are all out there firing away at anybody who moves because those are the cases that we tend to hear about.
4: Yeah, that's correct. It probably contributes to polarization, a lack of trust in society, and ultimately, you know, the belief that I can have more control over in the backyard than I can have in the public park. And that leads to people disengaging politically. Let's look at what solution
1: journalism isn't. You're not talking about a hallmark view of the world, uh, as detractors might suggest. You're not just saying we ought to have more good news out there.
4: Yeah, no, we, we're we allergic to the phrase good news. I mean, this is not fluffery. It's not positive news. It's not good news. It's really just bringing the lens of uh, investigative or explanatory reporting, looking at how people are responding to problems, using research to understand where they're producing results that are better than average. And then trying to understand how they actually are producing better results. If a school has reduced its dropout rate from 50% to 30% or 20% over a five-year period, the question isn't, oh, that's nice. It's how did they actually do that, and how could thousands of other schools copy that so you have to do what we call about how do we write how done it's which are these uh-huh. sort of detective stories that look at okay if you're getting a better result and we think the research is good uh to to substantiate that the real question is how did you do it and it shouldn't be the charisma of the principle it should be a method because we can't clone charismatic people but you can actually spread methods what's the difference between that and advocacy journalism Well, I don't even think that advocacy journalism exists. I think that's an oxymoron. I don't think journalism should be advocating. Or suggesting
1: there's there's a way to do something, and that perhaps suggesting readers should or listeners should uh, think in a certain way.
4: Well, I think, you know, like an editorial will say, well, this school reduced its dropout rate by 30%. Other schools should do it. So the, the editorial writers and the opinion writers get into the should. You should do this. You should do this. The journalists just report on this school or the set of schools and say, here's a variety of models. Here's the evidence associated with each one. Different communities have to decide their priorities and what they're going to do and all that. We're not going to tell anyone this is the solution. There's no best solution. I've reported on microfinance for 25 years and everything I wrote 20 years ago, I've had to correct, you know, <laughs> right, yeah. and I've had to update that story continuously for 20 years. So I'm, I'm very, um, wary of saying we should be doing this. At this point in time, this is what we know. This looks like a really important model to be experimenting more and maybe investing in more and so forth. But I I wouldn't say that I've stumbled upon anything that I know to be true and everyone should do. Humility. What a great concept for journalists and everybody else. Almost every approach to a problem that's producing results has limitations, whether they're cost or political feasibility. So we talked a little bit about some of the stories on education. What are some of the other articles that you've seen that embody this spirit? Oh, so much. Really good reporting around the country on how to reduce um, recidivism in prisons, how to reduce gun violence. The whole decarceration movement. You see lots of efforts around improving the health system, how hospitals are reducing harm, how schools are dealing with children who have had trauma, how people are um, making the food system more efficient to reduce waste in food, um, better ways of dealing with people who are addicted to opioids. I mean, we have a database with you know, thousands of stories in it that have been tagged. I mean, there's, there's an, there, we're living through a social renaissance in terms of the amount of people and the quality of the problem solving, both in the United States and internationally, uh, towards problems is really, um, you know, it, it's really extraordinary and that is not visible to most people. Yeah. I, both of us have found
1: it's been much easier to find stories about solutions and about
3: fixes to problems than we'd expect it, right, Jim? I mean absolutely, yeah. And and of course you know, I was editor of Popular Mechanics magazine for ten years, and in a way that was all solutions journalism. Right, you know, whether right. it's you know insulating your attic or figuring out a better way to get alternative energy into the grid. Jim and I are both journalists and
1: I know from working in newsrooms for years that there's a fair amount of cynicism. So what kinds of challenges have you faced at Solutions Journalism? Journalism network when you've gone into newsrooms and said okay guys there's something you need to consider about how you cover the news
4: i have to say that everyone in newsrooms recognizes that change is needed because pretty much everyone knows that if we don't change we're going to be out of business in a few years so so people are open to change now which is a very interesting thing typically the resistance is they think we're talking about good news you know the kindness of stranger stories cat saved from tree kind of stories, and <laughs> when they realize that we're really talking about hard nose reporting, using your, your intellect and your best reporting skills to try to understand how these very hard problems are being addressed, and it doesn't necessarily, there's no slam-dunk solutions. People are reporting on credible efforts to solve problems, whether or not they're fully working, they're partially working, or they were a good effort, but it turned out the study came in and they didn't work. You can learn from all of them. And what they find is when they start doing some of these stories, their audiences are incredibly appreciative. They get letters from people saying, thank you so much for letting us understand this issue. Well, let's look at Solutions and some of the things, the, the difference that Solutions Journalism Network has
1: made. What's an example of where you perhaps changed attitudes in a newsroom or led to a different kind of coverage that made a difference for readers?
4: Yeah, well, our biggest project has been with the Seattle Times. It was the first one. It's been three years now. And they have had a project called Education Lab, which is solutions-oriented journalism looking at public education, and they have just had enormous impact. They've taken deep-dive looks at issues like school discipline, but not just investigative pieces that have looked at just the racial disparities between suspensions, which are appalling, but also what can teachers and administrators do about it that's better. So they'll look at methods like restorative justice and they'll look at a school system that claims to be doing it but isn't doing it very well. Then they'll look at another area that is actually doing it very well and you can see that the office referrals are going down, the school culture is better, the students and the teachers are responding in positive ways and then they show how this is really being done. What that has led to in Seattle is not only the city banning certain types of suspensions and and, and requiring that schools, uh, you know, uh, continue to educate kids when they suspend or expel them, but also changing their disciplinary measures using these better models. Now, if you just criticized how badly the schools were doing the discipline and you didn't give, you know, shine any ideas, you might create a policy change, but you wouldn't also create a response and a new exploration of better methods. And the thing that's interesting is the reporters in Seattle and the teachers—we were at a conference recently, we held one in in January—have more trust. So they're actually—the teachers are more likely to say, you know, we tried this, but it didn't work. Um, And then there'll be a fair report saying this didn't work. And but they know that, you know, when the reporters are coming to report on their school, they're not just arms crossed and scared about getting this gotcha piece, but they're actually going to share information transparently and learn about here are the things that we tried that aren't working here, are the things that are showing uh, success or or early success and so forth. And so there's more there's more accountability and there's more learning. How have you changed newsroom culture? Well, in a lot of the newsrooms, like in, in the Seattle Times, the, this model has spread to other beats. You know, uh. What,
1: such as crime covering police or something? Uh, we have
4: a lot of newsrooms that are doing it around the coverage of violence. We have a, a bunch of newsrooms, about a dozen, that have done projects looking at what's a way of reducing or preventing violence in our communities. Um, but a lot of newsrooms, once they begin to see, one, that the reporting, there's three things. The reporting is really high quality. Two, people engage with these stories more online and in live events. They want to talk about ideas to make their communities better without being fluffy. And third, you know, the conversation tends to be less polarized. It tends to actually lead to more follow-up in the community, more impact. And ultimately, journalists, I don't think that they're that cynical. I think most of them went into the business because they really did want to change the world when they were in their 20s. And then they forgot But I think what we're seeing now uh, because of the crisis in journalism is a shift, not just in the distribution platform, but in the product itself. The same people who used to pay 50 cents for coffee now spend $5 on a cup of coffee. If you change the product and you make it a really important product in people's lives, people will pay for it. People pay for education, they pay for knowledge and this information. If news organizations see themselves in the business of producing knowledge that helps our community improve, it's a different way of thinking about your job. I think it will save the news business.
1: We're speaking with David Bornstein of Solutions Journalism Network. I'm Richard Davies. And
3: I'm Jim Meggs. It's How Do We Fix It.
2: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. Work.
3: What do you want to do next? What are your next frontiers to expand this mission of solutions journalism?
4: Well, we've worked now, I think the number is 56 newsrooms in the United States that we've had engagements with. We've trained close to 2,000 journalists in the U.S. that we've done workshops with. And we have about 5,500 people around the world that sort of download our newsletters and toolkits. There seems to be a real hunger around the world. This is in 108 countries. We have a variety of things, and we're going to keep on adding them. We think that there's, um, you know, just a lot of people around the world that, that really want to um, improve the news and make it a much more, both a better business model right. um, with a better product, but make it, make it information that's not primarily depressing people, but it really is helping people understand how to build something better. You're speaking to news people and to journalists. Do you also reach out to, to readers? We don't really have a great way of doing that right now. I mean, we have social media and all that, but that's something that we would like to do down the road. Right now, we're really focusing pretty much on uh, journalists themselves and newsrooms and journalism schools. We have we have uh, half a dozen schools now that have begun courses in solutions journalism. Um, so really trying to sort of work in the professional field of journalism. Um, And but I do think that there is a a potential to build a movement, a demand oriented movement from from readers and the audience saying we want better news. You're writing a book about social innovation. What is that?
1: And, And how could it make a
4: difference? so basically just doing a lot of reporting looking at how people are solving problems that we have in american society today. i'm really focusing on the us and and canada and so you know it it would be how do you you know with all the challenges in our in our education system what are the different models around the country where people are really showing Progress against things that are challenging. You know, how do you work with, uh, the, the kids who've had the hardest problems growing up, who've been homeless or have faced problems, you know, crime, abuse, violence in their neighborhoods, who really have trouble learning in school because they're, they're traumatized? How do you actually work with those kids? How do you reduce the dropout rate? How do you reduce, um, how do you improve the criminal justice system? How do you make hospitals, uh, safer? How do you reduce the cost of the five percent you know highest users of our healthcare system who account for fifty percent of the costs of the system? I mean you know uh, how do you run a business that is both uh, profitable and growing and also sort of has a, has a lower carbon footprint um, how do you improve how do you make our economy fairer for the for the caregivers who tend to be the least the worst paid people in the economy who are doing the most precious work you know there's thousands of questions yeah. and for each one of them there's really interesting examples of people doing creative work. I think we'll have to have you back about five or six <laughs> yeah, more times right. focus uh, each
1: show on one of those stories. <laughs> David thanks very much. Thank you. We'll have more after this our conversation with Jim and me coming up. Shall I start? Yeah. Okay when you finish uh... Okay. Writing down your thoughts. I'm, I'm ready. I'm good. Jim's written written whole script about what we're going to talk about. <laughs> the, the favorite moment... <laughs> Get me started. <laughs> the favorite moment for me in this interview with David Bornstein was
3: when he talked about humility. Right, right. Humility. I mean, it's such a an overlooked important element in viewing the world accurately, I always look at the scientific method. You know, the scientific method is all about realizing that your own view of reality might be flawed and coming up with systems to challenge your preconceptions. Journalists need more of that. It was so great to hear him talk about that.
1: I think we all need more of that, and I, I, I because for so much of my life I've been ambivalent or I've changed my mind about one issue or another and I used to think of that as perhaps a weakness mm-hmm. but because it's not celebrated in our society and right. And now I think it's a strength I think it's kind of good that you wake up one morning and go Gosh, I I think that perhaps we're spending too much money on healthcare, or or there's a certain something wrong with the education system, and then I actually do some reading, and go well, maybe I was
3: wrong about that. Yes, yes, and you know I think that. One of the reasons we started this show was we both shared this idea that there's so much ideologically driven journalism out there. It pushes people to one side or the other, and then everybody grabs their own set of facts. They use their their capacity for selection bias, you know, and they harden in their positions. We all need to be more open-minded to the idea that our ideas might not be correct. If you've seen some examples of solution journalism or some
1: stories that you think we should follow, uh, let us know, um, either by sending us an email to uh, DaviesContent at gmail.com or going on to our website, which is
3: HowDoWeFixIt.me.me. Yep. And we love comments, and um, please leave those comments, especially if you, if you like the show, leave those comments uh, <laughs> yeah. on iTunes, rate us, at, and, and download the show instead of streaming it. That's really helpful for our visibility. And as always, let us know. And what do you want to hear about?
1: Yeah, And our website, howdoefixit.me, has download instructions. Uh, our show is produced by Miranda Schaefer, and our audio engineer is Denise Barbarita. Here at the beautiful Mono Lisa Studios in Uptown Manhattan. Music by Lou Stravinsky, and this show is produced by Davies Content. We make digital audio for nonprofits and businesses. Thanks for listening.